computer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Grace, Peace, and Balance radio show with Gabi Abdel-Gadir. Today, I have an incredible, incredible guest. We've been working on this for a long time, and we finally made it today. You're going to love him. And his name is Lindsay Berman, and I'm going to read you his bio right now. But I will also be posting his bio and his contact and social media links, both on Podbean and on YouTube for anybody who would uh, want to get in touch with him, which I highly recommend you do. Uh, here it goes. So Lindsay Berman is a proud husband, father, an educator, trauma and relationship coach and counselor. He has been a social worker on and off for the last 14 years and has been coaching for the last three years. One of the reasons he became a trauma coach was from the personal traumas he's had to work through on his own. As a result of this inner work, he, he came to realize that he did not have great relationship with himself and that was something he really wanted to change. He was a lost and scattered child, left school at 15. We're gonna talk about that by the way, and essentially did his own thing for the next 20 years, traveling, working, variety of jobs and running from everything that he knew needed to face. Working through trauma is not an easy undertaking, he says. I, he believes that as, as a mentor now, shared many years ago, as, a, as one of his mentors shared many years ago, it's like going into the swamp. You must go in and deal with your own stuff. You cannot bypass, go over or under or go around it, he says. As, a, as for relationships, we can only have healthy relationships with others when we have healthy relationships with ourselves. That is very powerful. There is no shortcut to true healing. One must put in the work, he says. And I'm going to be posting his links. And uh, welcome to my podcast, Lindsay. Thank you, Thank you so much. Happy yes. to be here. Yeah, so great to have you. Finally, we made it. Okay, yeah. so talk to me about you growing up. You say that you quit school at 15. Tell me about why and how that happened. Sure. Uh, so... I was very fortunate in that uh, growing up, mm -hmm. uh, I didn't lack for anything materially. Yeah. Um, my grandparents were very wealthy. My grandfather uh, was a very successful businessman and certainly helped, uh, helped us in, in numerous ways financially. Mm -hmm. Having said that, um, and having spent the last 20 years doing my inner work, I've become very familiar with um, each of my parents' childhoods and why certain things did or didn't happen in my household prior to my father leaving. My father left when I was 10. Oh, wow. And um, one of the things that I became aware of was the lack of nurturing, guidance, love, affection, attention, sense of safety and security, which me and my siblings never experienced in our home, was a direct result of things that both my parents experienced as kids growing up. And so as an adult, I kind of put two and two together and I kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, and I'm not saying this is a blank statement. This isn't something that I'm saying happens to everybody, but in my parents' case, I think it's applicable. And that is simply that they did the best they could with what they knew at the time. Yes. 
So I don't stand here as a 56-year-old man and say, you know, uh, I am who I am because my parents didn't give me this and my dad gave me that. Mom, you know, they did their best. And as a result of not getting those intangible things, uh, when my dad did leave, uh, you know, and I was 10 years old, and I remember saying to my brother, well, he's going to go out west. That's where he was going. And whatever an affair is, he'll have the affair with this woman. But he's obviously going to come back. He's not going to leave mom and our, us four and never come back. And I really believe that. Mm -hmm. um, but that was not the case. He left and he never came back. And he's been in Washington State for 47 years. Oh, wow. Um, so I think what happened with me was... Uh, part of it was my dad was very, um, don't want to use the word militant, but my dad was, um, he was a very stern father figure mm -hmm. and there was no negotiating. There was very little communication. And I think when my dad left, there was a sense of freedom for me that, um, I think it was the first time I actually felt some sort of sense of safety because there were many times growing up before my dad left that I would literally try to get into bed and fall asleep before my dad came home because I thought, well, at least that way, maybe he won't hit me, which is a horrible way for any child Absolutely. to live their life. Absolutely. Um, I think what happened was it was around, around grade five, I started losing complete interest in school. And I think part of that was the emotional stuff that I was going through with my father leaving, but not being able to cognitively intellectualize and understand what was really going on. And things kind of spiraled from there. Uh, by the time I was in grade nine, I started experimenting with drugs. By oh, grade wow. 10, I, uh, I basically was called into the vice principal's office. It was March of grade 10. So the year hadn't even finished yet. And he basically said to me, um, you know, you've missed so much school. We're not even sure why you're still enrolled here. We're going to request that you voluntarily drop out or we're going to expel you. So I said, well, what's the difference? And he said, if you drop out, it looks better on your transcript. If you ever want to return when you're ready, if we expel you, it might be hard to get into another school. So I said, that's fine. I said, then I'll drop out. And that's what I did. And um, that, I guess, was kind of the... Uh, segue into me doing my own thing for the next 20 years, because that's pretty much what I did. And your brothers and your mom were okay with that? How did they take it when you dropped out of school? Um, well, my older brother got very upset with my mother because my older brother had wanted to leave grade 13 before he finished. And so there was this kind of this argument about how are you letting Lindsay drop out when he hasn't even finished grade 10 and you're questioning me about leaving school in 13. Yeah. I don't remember what the outcome of the conversation was. I think the only logical explanation is uh, it's kind of like when I look at my students, right? And I try to practice equity. So if you're a student in my class and I see that you're wearing glasses and you say to me, Mr. Berman, I would really like to sit at the front so I can see the board better. I'm going to give that, that opportunity to opportunity to you. Yeah. Um, so I'm imagining, not assuming, I'm imagining my mother kind of looked at it as, because she could already see that I was not doing well. I mean, I was the kid that would come to my mother 
with a sheet of paper, let's say like this. Mm -hmm. And I'd put my thumb over the date. I would do this all school year. And I'd say, here's my homework. But I'd show her the same page every day. Oh my goodness. You know, she was busy. She wasn't paying attention. She's trying to raise four kids. Um, so I think that's what happened. I think my mother kind of just realized, you know what, uh, as long as he's working, cause that's basically what she said to me, if you're not going to be in school, you need to work. And I did, I went out and I got a job, uh, it was at a construction site in Pickering. So I spent about three hours every morning getting to Pickering and, um, yeah, that's kind of, that's what, what, that's, what that's what brought me to dropping out of school at 15. Oh, wow. That is amazing. I could never picture you that. Oh, by the way, one thing I forgot to mention to our listeners or people who are watching, Lindsay is a fellow Canadian. Yay. I didn't, I don't think I had like a lot of Canadian men uh, on my podcast yet. So that is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So then when did you quit drugs and things like that then? Well, that didn't happen until uh, almost in my thirties. Really? Yeah. So I was in, I was actually in a treatment program when I was 23 Uh and um, was successful for a while. And then I guess I got a little bit complacent and kind of said to myself, I'm, I'm not done my research yet, as they used to (laughs) say in the, uh, in the meetings that I attended. Uh So uh, it was, it was a long journey. It was a long long journey. journey. Yeah. But yeah. Oh my goodness gracious. That is incredible. And when you talked about your parents and uh, that is the only thing they knew about raising kids because that is the only thing they knew, uh, you just reminded me about my own mom because she was extremely tough, tough, tough on me and my brother, but mostly me. Um, And there were times when I really hated my brother and my mom when I was little, because he always got me in trouble with my mom and I got a beating from my mom and I got grounded all the time. And the last year, the last time I saw her before she passed away, which was in another country, because I was working in the Middle East, I went for my vacation. The last time I saw her, she sat me down the day before I was to go back. I want to tell you something about your grandma. She goes to me that I never told anybody. And I go, and I loved my grandmother. She was incredible. Like out of the whole family, I loved my grandma. And she told me your grandma was never the angel that you always told she was. As a child, she said, she picked me up. I think she must have been at seven. She used to punish really, really bad the way she punished her kids. And she said she, she said she picked me up, threw me in a tree. There was a, a, a branch sticking out of the tree, which went right into the side of my mom's leg. I always thought there is one like a little round in that goes in like this and never comes out. Like, you know what I mean? The sign. And I always wondered what that was because my mom was absolutely gorgeous. And then she told me, see this one on my leg? I said, yeah, this is always, I, I, because you don't ask your parents those days. You don't ask too many questions. My mom was not much of a talker. I was like my dad. Um, and she told me, see this one? This is what happened since the age of seven. She said, she picked me up, threw me in a tree. And that's the branch she goes to me. Your grandmother was not really an angel. Mm-hmm. I could see the pain I could see the hurt 
there is so much, of course, she didn't share. She just shared this one example with me and I was just shocked. So then and on the plane, going back to my war, going back to the Middle East, I was debating the whole thing and I said, that is why she was extremely tough on me and my brother, especially me more than my brother, because my brother was like a genius. He spoke seven languages. He was skipping, uh, skipping grades and like this. I never skipped grades, although I was an A student, but I was not good enough to be like him for, the, for her. Um, I was thinking about the whole thing. Now I know why she was the way she was. Mm -hmm. So your story just brought me to that. Sometimes it just doesn't go away. Now we know how to, re to um, reframe our subconscious mind, the how to let go, how to let go now in this generation, you and I know what to do mm -hmm. to let go, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. a lot of people don't. So that is uh, a great story you shared there. Okay. Talk to me then. Okay. So, you were working and then what happened? How did you get into the coaching, uh, into social worker? Like that is a great job, by the way. I love social workers. So how did you get into that? Mm -hmm. So in um, 1999, I did a three-year part-time experiential psychotherapy training. Okay. Finished that, started, uh, started to open up my own little practice, was having some luck. And then I started to think, well, you know, what if this doesn't pan out? And then I thought, you know, I left high school at 15. I don't really have, even though I did some courses uh, in, in my late 20s and my early 30s, I didn't, I didn't have any degrees behind my name. And I thought, you know what, maybe it'd be good for me to go back to university. And I went back to university at 37. Okay. I went for five years. I, did, I finished with three degrees, a BA, Bachelor of Social Work. And oh then halfway God. through my social work degree, I had said to my wife, you know, just in case, because I, I, I was trying to think very methodically, like I'm out of my 20s now, like I'm, I'm going to be 42 by the time I'm done everything. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, what do I love and where could I see myself doing something if the social work doesn't pan out and teaching came to mind. So I was trying to be very mindful about if I finish my BA and I get accepted to the social program, which I did, and I finished that, and then I applied to teacher's college and I finished that, my thinking was, because I was doing frontline child welfare in, in my practicum for social work, and I found that very uh, taxing on me emotionally. I wasn't one of those social workers that could go in and do my job and then punch out at five o'clock and leave everything at work, at work. Yeah. I, yep. I would have very difficult times sleeping at night, thinking of all the things that I had experienced that day with different clients, often with children, yeah. and it just became very overbearing. So I decided that that wasn't for me. I was going to pursue teaching. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, if teaching doesn't work, well, I've got that social work degree. There's other things I can do in social work. And I guess it was about... Um, Six years ago now, I went to this Jack Canfield conference uh, in Arizona. And on the way home on the plane, I started thinking, which you one, know. Which I, one was it? Which conference was uh, it? The Breakthrough to Success. The Breakthrough. Conference. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh -huh. And then I started thinking about, you know, I enjoy teaching and I enjoy social work, but 
what am I really passionate about? And I'm passionate about helping people realize their potential, helping people realize that uh, a mindset is, I believe, solely designed on where you decide to put your thoughts, your energy, your attention, your focus, and how you handle your own belief system. Absolutely. And then I started uh, joining different men's groups online. And then I realized, you know, there are so many men that are hurting out there. And there are so many men that uh, have bought into this social conditioning and the social construct of a real man sucks it up. A real man doesn't cry. A real man provides for his family. A real man doesn't show his emotions. They're strong. You'd be the rock. You'd be a man. And I thought, this we is grew up. We grew up like that. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought to myself, like, in, 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 you know, if we go back three or four years ago, I thought to myself, this is nonsense. This is not how the men are wanting to show up in life today. There are some, there are a lot of men that want to go to these alpha male trainings and do the whole, I'm, I'm a man. But there are also a whole lot of other men that are tired of having to try to live up to this social construct yeah. and want to be who they are. And so because I've been doing my own personal work off and on for the last 20 years, I thought between my personal work, my personal experiences, the professional training I've had, the ongoing training that I continue to do even to this day, I thought, you know what, I want to work with men and help men work through their past trauma, whether that's been something that was physical, emotional, a combination of both. Because what I've seen is a lot of men are afraid to give themselves permission to be vulnerable Absolutely. because of all the conditioning that they've been taught. And so I thought, I've got nothing to hide. I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to try and help whatever men I can in that capacity because you can't move forward. This is, this is what I believe, and I'm speaking from my own personal experience. You can't move forward and, and make, um, make a new inroad in your life with an old belief system. So it's kind of like, uh, and I won't, I, I won't do it justice, but Einstein says something like, you know, if you keep doing the same thing and expect a different result, it's like, it's, it's delusional, yeah, right? Yeah. So I kind of went with the attitude that even for myself, you know, if I want to have certain things in my life, then I've got to let go of certain beliefs because those beliefs will not serve me moving forward if I'm trying to carve out a new path. Absolutely. Wow, that is incredible. So why is your majority uh, of your focus to work with men? Is it because of the same reasons that you just described? Yeah, I mean, I think that... You know, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you a short story. So I was on a talk show a couple of years ago, and the, um, the theme of that was courage and vulnerability. And so I spoke a little bit about some of the stuff I've shared with you, Gabby. Mm -hmm. And I was sharing that, you know, my father at the time was, was on the cusp of turning 80. Mm -hmm. And I know that my father's not dealt with anything from his childhood. His biological father left him when he was 14. And I spoke with my father about this when my grandfather passed away and he came back with, um, I've used up all my tears. Mm -hmm. 
And I turned to my dad and I said, listen, I said, I know the timing isn't great. I said, but I need to say it. And I said, um, that's got to be the biggest crock of S-H-I-T I've ever heard of in my life. I said, honestly, dad, I said, your issue is you're still ca carrying around the pain in your heart when your biological father walked out on you 50 years ago. And he said, you're right. And I said, then do yourself a favor, talk to somebody, see somebody, but you've got to work through that pain. I said, because you've been carrying that around like a heavy stone in your heart for 50 years. And I'm a firm believer, this is just me speaking, uh, pain is emotion and emotion is energy. You know, I had a, uh, um, a friend who told me recently that they're hoping in time, everything will go away. And this is someone who I've been friends with this person for almost 40 years. They've had a very difficult time for the last 15 years. I've been begging them to speak to somebody, I've been begging them to see somebody. Um, and she actually sent me a text today and said, I'm ready to see somebody I'd like to work with you. Aww. And I, so I'm happy, but I had told her back in April, I said, you don't have to work with me. I'm just asking you as a friend to friend, speak to somebody. I said, because you won't be able to do this on your own. I know you and you know you. You don't have the skills. And I said, I don't say that to be disrespectful, but you don't have a background in social work or therapy or like that's not in your realm. So to try to tackle this on your own, you're going to spend the rest of your life and probably another lifetime when you return, finishing off what you couldn't finish in this lifetime. So I'm happy that she's reached out and I know that I can help her. And um yeah, so I'm happy. Okay, so you also help females as well. So I do help not females as well. Yes, okay, I'm excellent. not. It's yeah. not solely just men. My focus is men. Yeah. But uh, if if a female contacted me and we got on a discovery call and I felt like I could help her, I would say, you know what, I feel comfortable. I can help. If I couldn't, I'd say, you know what, I know a few other females. Maybe maybe you'd like to work with them. Yeah. So, Excellent. Yeah. yeah, it's good to know, like for the listeners also, if there are females who've undergone, like went through trauma and they're still keeping it inside, holding on to it and they're not letting go, you know that you can still work with Lindsay because Absolutely. although his focus is men, he can also, uh, he's got the capability to help to work with you as well. So it's good to know. I'm glad we brought that subject. So what are some tips and tools you can share for our listeners? Well, I think one of the biggest things that I learned um, is you want to start being honest with yourself and honest with yourself in the sense that if you know there's stuff you need to look at and if you know there's stuff you've been carrying for whatever time period that may look like. I mean, for some people, it's, you know, it's decades they've been carrying around this pain or this trauma that they haven't dealt with. So the first thing I would say is be honest with yourself. And if you know there's stuff that you need to deal with, then find someone to help you deal with it because it doesn't go away on its own. Uh, but I alluded to it and you touched on it briefly. You know, um, I spent 20 years from the time I was 15 till I was 35 running from everything that I didn't want to face in my life. And I went down to Australia in 1992 and I had a coffee with a girlfriend of mine couple of days before I left. And she said to me, uh, have a wonderful trip. 
And just know that everything you're running from will be here when you come back. And I said, Evelyn, I said, I'm not running from anything. I said, I'm just going to travel. I said, I've always wanted to go to Australia. Anyways, long story short, um, I went to Australia. I did my traveling. And when I came back, it was almost like this light went off. I'm like, oh, my God, Evelyn was right. Like, I really was running from everything that I didn't want to face. And I need to start looking at that. And that's what brought me to that psychotherapy training, because when I finally called the school and the gentleman said to me, you know, this is what we do, but we're very um, adamant about our students being clients during the training, I thought, perfect, that's what I need. And as resistant and as apprehensive and probably even to some degree scared about looking at what I knew I needed to look because I've been dodging it for 20 years or more. I thought I'm going to embrace this and I'm going to step into that discomfort. And it was the best thing I could have done. It really was. That was, that was basically the foundation for me starting to go into that swamp, look at my stuff, deal with my stuff. And it just, it hasn't stopped since. And that's the other thing is, you know, sometimes we'll do work around an event or an experience or something happened to us that dealt with another person and sometimes years later, something resurfaces. So the work is an ongoing process. It is. So the other thing I would share is find somebody that you trust, find somebody that you're comfortable with, and find somebody that you can ideally be as open and as honest as you possibly can. Because the more open and honest you can be, the better you're going to uh, the better the results are going to be with you doing your work, Absolutely. you know? So if I have somebody who comes to me and says, you know, uh, I was raped when I was a child and um, they're not willing to go deep into that work. Well, then there's only so much benefit you're going to get. If you're willing to go into that dark space and cry and deal with the shame or the guilt, whatever emotions are around that experience, then you're going to benefit. And, you know, I say to every client I ever speak to, if you're going to commit to doing the work, you need to know this up front. It's going to be painful. It really is. It does. But when you get to the other side, as far as I'm concerned, you cannot put a price tag on the calmness, the peace, the balance you feel. There's no price tag for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. To let it go so you just nailed uh, a few things. I know you're mostly talking about men, but you just nailed a few points. By now, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. I am a coach. I consider myself a leader. And I always, I worked hard to let go of many hurtful things that happened to me in my childhood. But for some reason, from time to time, not often, but one thing tends to pop up like the other day, like my cousin just reminded me of something. She lives in Geneva, Switzerland. We were talking and she reminded me of something that happened to me that with my mom, the way my mom was trying to punish me. You know, Lindsay, I had completely blocked it out of my system up until she mentioned, I told her, when, what? She goes to me, how can you forget? She went. And then all the memories flashed back. 
and oh my auntie auntie was very tough you know and this and that she went and we changed i changed the conversation but after i hung up i tell you lindsay even now remembering it i'm getting emotional i was bawling my eyes out i didn't want to sit down in the living room and cry because i didn't want my son to see me because my son is very sensitive you can't share these things with him um he's born here he's got a mom who has seen it all and uh, but she's trying to uh, raise him opposite way of how I was raised I know my mom tried her best to to raise a decent young lady which I appreciate but it came at a top price so I just went to you know to the ladies room and I just remember and I just must have cried for a good 15 minutes and then I just washed my face. My eyes were swollen, okay? And I just washed my face with ice cold water and then came out. I have a big photo of, her, of my mom, a picture she took when she was in Egypt. And I went to her picture and I looked at her. I said, mama, that's how I called her, mama. I said, I forgive you. Yeah, but what I'm trying to say is it, it is an ongoing process. That's what you said, and you really nailed it. Yeah, you have to work on yourself on an ongoing basis because I am spiritual. I always, you know, I, I meditate, I pray, I, I, am, I have studied for the last 20 years, personal growth, spirituality, and all that stuff. But yet, from time to time, one bad memory still pops up. That is when you really need to work. That is it. So I really appreciate you mentioning that because you really nailed it. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this today, I hope they get in touch with you. I really hope you get in touch with, especially gentlemen, because I know men, they find it hard to share or to talk about a lot of things. I really, really recommend you get in touch with Lindsay. All his contacts are going to be on, on everywhere. So please do get in touch with him. He just almost got me emotional myself. <laughs> I, want to, uh, I want to just comment if there's time on okay. something you just said, because I think okay. it's really important. Because okay. what I heard you share was the story. And then you walked over to a picture of your mother and you looked up at your mother in the picture and you said, I forgive you. Yeah. And that's a crucial piece, I think, when it comes to healing. And the reason is this, it's twofold, possibly threefold. But the first part is we often forgive people because of something they did to us. And, and it's a good thing to forgive them. But part of that is also releasing that energy that we've been holding on to. And in your case, completely subconscious because you, you had shared that your cousin brought it to your attention. You had completely blocked it out. Oh, yeah, right? I did. Yeah. And and the blocking also is stored energy. You know, like I've said to my wife, some people that are in this world that have cancer or have other diseases. I'm not a doctor, but I really believe this, Gabby, that some of these people are really sick because they've never dealt with anything. So if you have an individual that's been walking around for 30 or 40 years with guilt and shame and resentment and jealousy and envy, and that's 
that's been their MO for decades. Well, none of that is really positive energy. So that yeah. negative energy at some point, I believe, is literally going to start to eat away at your cells. Yes. Hence why you will become sick. And so the forgiveness part, I think, is really a key thing because, you know, I had to go through the same thing with my father. You know, I waited 45 years for my father to take some accountability and responsibility to say to me, you're right, I was not a good father. And I heard that two years ago. In doing so, I was able to forgive him, but also that feeling inside of me of letting go of all the other emotions that I had attached because I was waiting for that, I'm sorry. And I think that the other piece of the forgiveness is that, you know, we also sometimes need to forgive ourselves, even though we might not have been the primary instrumental person that caused um, pain or trauma, whatever the case may be, we were part of that dynamic. And so unconsciously or consciously, we need to take some responsibility and say to ourselves, you know what, maybe if I did A, B, and C, the circumstances would have been different. So I'm going to forgive myself, even if it's just simply, I forgive myself for just being ignorant and not knowing better. Yeah. You know, and I think with men, men have a very difficult time forgiving themselves because most men are not taught that forgiveness is actually a very important tool. It is in the healing process. And so it's the same thing as we've talked about, that if you're unaware, you're unaware. But if you're aware and you choose not to do anything, then that's on you. You know, I knew that I had lots of stuff that I needed to deal with. So when that gentleman said to me, you're going to be a client while you're a student in this program, I thought, yes, I'm nervous. I'm apprehensive. I'm probably even a little bit scared. But you know what? I need to do this for me because if I don't, nothing in my life is going to change. I can't expect any changes if I'm not going to change how I'm feeling and how I'm feeling because at this point in my life, I was not feeling good. No self-esteem, no confidence. And it was all part and parcel with the, with the road I had traveled for 20 years. Yeah. You know? Oh my God, what a powerful conversation. I would really love to have you uh, come on a second time, part two, because this is really powerful. Yeah, so we're going to do a part two of this uh, version, very powerful, but for the sake of time, uh, how can people get in touch with you? I know that I'm going to post your link. People can get in touch. I have a LinkedIn profile. So my LinkedIn profile is linkedin.com slash IN slash Lindsay, all lowercase, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y slash B slash 6426-2673. Okay. I'm also on Facebook uh, mm-hmm. under Lindsay Stevens. Stevens is my middle name. I have a Facebook group. That group is called Men's Trauma Recovery Group. My email, again, all lowercase, is L underscore Berman, B as in Bob, E-R-M-A-N, at rogers.com. And my direct cell is 416-277-5782. Okay, excellent. I will also be posting uh, the bio and the social media links on uh, everywhere. So that is that. Okay, so let's get to two questions I ask all my guests. Sure. My number one question would be, 
if there are three countries countries you want to visit before you die, what countries would they be? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I've always wanted to go to Peru. I've always had a fascination with going to Machu Picchu. Okay. I would love to go to Iceland because okay. I know I know a lot of people that I know have never been there, and I've heard okay. wonderful things about Iceland. Okay. Uh, third place, maybe Nepal. Okay. Yeah. Nepal and Peru are like kind of close to one another, aren't they? Yeah. There's something okay. about the Himalayas. There's something about the Himalayas, though. That, I'd, that like, I'd like to get. Your... I'd like to get up there and and see how those people live. Yeah, and I have two friends, one from Nepal and one from Peru. Like they are the most incredible people. So yeah, so good choices. I have never been in any of those three places, but uh, maybe who knows, right? Who knows? But um, yeah, that's that. One, the second question would be, if you have one dream, personal dream you want to fulfill before you die, what would it be? Only one. Sorry, one? Dream or wish dream. you want to fulfill. It's a personal one, not for everybody. If you want to yeah. fulfill before you die, what would it be? I would like to be a New York Times bestselling author. That is, that is easy. Done. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so that's doable, I guess. I am not, but I am an international bestseller and award-winning, but I have not gotten to the New York, but it is doable. Okay, so... Well, anything, is, anything is doable if you're committed, right? If you're if committed, you're committed. And you're willing to put in the work. Yeah. Listen, I uh, are you familiar with Nick Vujicic? Yes. Okay. Oh, my God, so I love Nick listening Vujicic to him. Nick yeah. is my kind of silent mentor in the okay. context of... Uh, cause I'm human and I have my own little pity party sometimes yeah. and I'm hard on myself, but I always say to myself, if Nick Vujicic can carve out and create the life he's created with the cards he was given when he was born, yeah. you can do anything you want. There are no excuses. No excuses. Yeah, and that's well, what I hope to. Yeah. Two years, to. yeah two years ago, I did a, uh, I was a speaker at a conference, at a pharmaceutical conference, and I used him as an example uh, because there were a lot of people who are not healthy, you know, that were invited children, with the, they had to come attend with their families and all that. So I used him and his story as, um, as an example to people that there is hope. Absolutely. It's what you make of the life. You take advantage of your situation and make something better, something beautiful out of it. So yeah. I used him as an example. I love him. Yeah. I mean, listen, he could very easily have chosen to say, you know what? I'm going to play victim my entire life. Yeah. And and no one no one would, would be able to really bat an eye because look what he was born with. But he mm -hmm. took the high road. And mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot to be said about and yourself too. I mean, I, I've, I've heard, uh, I listened to your interview with Paul. Oh, you did? I know, okay. you, I know mm -hmm. that you have had one hell of a journey in your life also. So you also could have said, you know what? I've been dealt some really bad cards. I'm playing victim, but you chose to take a different road yeah. and look, look at the life that you have. Right. Yeah. And that was your doing by your choices, not from your mother, your brother, your aunt, your cousins. It was all your doing Yeah, because you wanted more for you. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, every day we wake up, I always say it's a blank canvas. You have a choice. 
You can drag in yesterday's stuff, which you can do absolutely nothing about, or say, you know what, I have a blank slate. What am I going to create today? Yeah, that is. You always have a choice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always say thank you for a new day. Thank you for a new blessing. Thank you for a new miraculous day because it doesn't matter how tough my day was. I still say thank you when I go to sleep. Yeah, me too. I still say thank you. It doesn't matter how hard even it was. Like I, I do that. Like, yeah. So gratitude is one of the things that we uh, we have to take. Oh my goodness gracious. That was incredible. Loved it. And we're going to do a part two. Sounds good, Gabby. Okay, so any last word before we? Uh, I guess I guess my final comment would be this: mm-hmm. If anyone who's listening is sitting on the fence, and you know that there's stuff you need to look at, please do not be like my friend that I mentioned and wait ten or fifteen years to do it. Do it now, because if you do it now, then the next ten or fifteen years are going to be absolutely magical by you doing your work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this and we're going to do a second part of this. And thank you, everybody. I will be posting all the links. So get in touch with Lindsay. He is incredible. And until the next episode, this is episode 91. Until the next episode, stay blessed. Wishing you grace, peace, balance and harmony. Blessings.